have you ever been in a situation where a group of people are having a heated debate about a topic and uh, two clear opposing groups emerge and you haven't put your cards on the table yet and then suddenly you're asked your opinion on the matter? There would, of course, be a lot riding on your answer, depending on how heated that debate or the topic was. Because in agreeing with one side, you'd be disagreeing with the other. You'd be getting off the fence and joining one camp or the other. Instantly, some would be friends and others, in certain circumstances, enemies. Here's another example. You wander into the Captain Cook pub in Dunedin following a Crusaders versus Highlanders match, and someone asks you who you support, and you realise there's a lot riding on that answer. Some of you went to university in, in Otago, and you know, particularly know what I'm talking about there. Of course, in many countries, if you're asked what your religion is, there's a lot riding on that answer too. When was the last time you were asked what you believed about Jesus? There's a lot riding on your answer to that question as well. Today's gospel reading was just like that. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they gave a range of answers. And then he asked, but who do you say that I am? And in many ways, that is the ultimate question, the question, the most important question of all. But let's back up a little and set the scene, which turns out to be quite important. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16 says that Jesus and his disciples were in the district of Caesarea Philippi, which was a city on the border between northern Galilee and the Gentile territory further to the north. It was a full two days walk north of the Sea of Galilee. And it was a place that had a history of pagan worship. It had been the center of Baal worship. They were the local fertility gods that existed then. Uh, when the Greeks came through under Alexander, um, the area um, boasted a temple to the god Pan uh, that had been built. And in more recent times, it had been a place where emperor worship had happened. And it was partly because there were natural springs in the area uh, that people believed were like a portal into the underworld. So it was a very spiritual place. So Jesus took his disciples quite deliberately into an area where the population was non-Jewish, who worshipped a whole range of different gods. And Jesus is really inviting comparison with the gods that were commonly worshipped. He was taking it to them. Sometimes we think that our modern mixed faith society uh, is like a brand new situation. We think our parents' generation when Christianity was really the only religion on offer, um, you know, that was the norm. And now we're in a really brand new situation um, where we see many other faiths uh, conspicuously present in our schools, uh, in sport, in our national life. And we think somehow this is really, really strange and different. However, Christianity actually emerged in a mixed faith environment. It had to compete, in a sense, with other beliefs, other worldviews. So what we're living through today is actually not unfamiliar territory. And so Jesus deliberately brought his disciples into a confronting environment to help them grapple with this ultimate question. So Jesus said to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The phrase Son of Man is, of course, 
uh, a simple self-referencing device, which is the equivalent of saying, who do people say that I am? Now, it's actually worth noting that in Matthew's Gospel, this is the only time Jesus asks his disciples about his identity. Generally, Jesus is not talking about himself. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's working to establish the kingdom in a whole range of ways. The new reign of God. Jesus is actually very coy about his identity. He said at the end of that passage, make sure you don't tell anyone about who I am. Um, he uses the phrase, the son of man, to refer to himself quite commonly, which is an odd way of directing attention away from yourself. Jesus seems to prefer an indirect approach where he asks people questions, he tells short, punchy stories with an underlying meaning, he teases their minds, and he gets them to think for themselves. And the disciples take quite a long time to come to this question of identity. Who was Jesus Christ? Jesus does not impose his answer to this question on them. This is who I am, and these are the reasons you should believe it. He doesn't do that. He prefers for them to come to the answer themselves. This sounds like a very modern kind of teaching method, doesn't it? And, of course, that has many implications for our own ministry today. We should exercise patience when working with those who are not uh, there in terms of faith quite yet. Those who are on the fringes of Christian faith. Because it takes time for people to really get who Jesus is. We should not hurry the process. We should give people lots of opportunities to explore this greatest of all questions and not impose our own convictions on them too firmly. Of course, we have our convictions and we need to share them, but it's the way we do that that is important. So, let's get to the point now. How did the disciples answer Jesus' question, who do people say that I am? Well, verse 14 says, um, well, some say John the Baptist, um, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, the disciples, of course, were in touch with a whole range of people who were interested in Jesus. Sometimes we get the idea that it was just Jesus and the Twelve roaming around the countryside with people flocking to them. But there's actually lots of different layers in that group that followed Jesus. Uh, we know, for example, that there were 70 who were pretty committed to Jesus. They weren't the 12, but they, they were there uh, at that higher level of commitment. But there were others who were interested and partially committed. So the disciples talked, and this is what they came up with, that Jesus was one of the great prophets from the past. Maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, who had a specific reference in the Old Testament about coming back later on. Or Jeremiah, one of the favourite prophets of the Jewish people. Maybe it was Jeremiah. But they believed that Jesus was really in the mould of one of the great fiery prophets of the Old Testament. But you see, it's possible to have good thoughts about Jesus. These were not unkind or incorrect thoughts, were they? But it's possible to have good thoughts about Jesus, but not the right ones. 
It's also possible to have a high opinion of Jesus, but not high enough. And for those who don't follow Jesus, the most common category that I hear these days, as I mix and mingle with people, a whole range of people, is one of teacher. People are very willing to call Jesus, uh, for example, a great moral teacher. You hear that. Um, He was a great example, other people say. A great ethicist. Wow, he was outstanding at that. A courageous leader who died for his principles. People often accept that that's what they believe about Jesus. And this is all absolutely true. But it's a case of believing something that's true but not true enough. Having a high opinion of Jesus but not high enough. Why do I say that? Let's read on because Jesus then gets a whole lot more personal and asks his disciples directly, but who do you say that I am? You can almost hear the gentle gurgling of the springs of Pan on the slopes of Mount Hermon, gurgling away, coming from underground. As everyone froze, wow. The atmosphere was charged. And Peter, who's often portrayed as the spokesman for the whole group, answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I'd love to know the tone with which he said that. Because, you know, you can change the meaning a little bit by the tone. But it was a substantial thing to say, nevertheless. Notice that people, uh, Peter doesn't say, I think you are the Christ. Uh, which would imply that it was his personal opinion. Um, Because in their world, there were many competing gods. He could easily have thought, well, Jesus is special to me. But then again, other people have other opinions and other preferences. Let them follow their own gods. Let's be accommodating and practical about this matter. I think you are the Christ. No, he actually said emphatically, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, Peter is making a global statement in the strongest possible way. In fact, in the Greek, the you is grammatically in the emphatic position. The are, you are, is in the present tense and carries a stronger weight than other tenses that he could have used. And... He also uses the definite article. In Greek, they don't always use the definite article, the. But here we have a triple emphasis. You are the Christ. And don't forget that the words Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. One's from a Hebrew background and the other is Greek. They mean the anointed one, the king. It wasn't a private spiritual title. It was a very highly charged uh, global title that had political ramifications as well as other things. Peter is saying that Jesus is the king, the 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 divine son of God. And this is the foundational statement of the church. The church is strong and full of life when she knows the truth of the statement. The church is sick when she fudges and is uncertain about this fundamental question. Like the politician who said, those are my convictions. If you don't like them, I have others. 
<clears throat> so that's, that's the church. The church is strong when she stands on this foundation and weak when she equivocates. But what about us? Because the church is a whole lot of particular people. What do we believe about Jesus? If Jesus asked you, who do you say that I am, what would be your reply? Because this really is the ultimate question, the question that trumps all other questions. Who do we think Jesus is? Do we think he is a good and fine example? Do we think he is one moral teacher among many? Do we think he is my Lord, but not necessarily the Lord of all? So I put the question even more personally. Who do you think Jesus is? And just as Jesus himself led his disciples gently towards a personal decision without uh, pressure or duress, so I cannot insist that you answer that question in the way I would. We must all imagine all of life slowing down, all the sounds being stilled, all the noise and the rush and bustle of life being calmed, standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus looking at us and asking, who do you say that I am? I cannot answer that question for you. But I can share my own convictions about Jesus Christ in the hope that by my manner of life, my words and deeds, I can encourage you to answer in the way that Peter answered. I believe that Jesus is indeed God's own son who was born 2,000 years ago as a human being and who lived among us. He lived a pure life and embodied God's love and justice. Those who knew him found him to be at once powerfully compassionate but also strong in his demands. He was a person who spoke the truth without fear or favour. He spoke this truth to the powerful human and spiritual entities that held the world in its grip and continue to do so in our day. Jesus walked into the citadel of those evil forces without concern for his own personal safety, but for the sake of others. And they took him and they nailed him to a cross of wood, seeking to eliminate this bothersome prophet. But death itself could not hold him. He went into death, and because of his own moral perfection and glory, turned death inside out, breaking its power once and for all. This Jesus is utterly unique and without rival. And this Jesus can be known and experienced today. And as we yield our lives to him, he heals our brokenness, transforms us and sets us on a path that has ultimate meaning and hope. So yes, there is an awful lot riding on the question, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Where do you stand? C.S. Lewis was a, a reluctant follower of Jesus Christ and took some time to answer that question, according to the pattern we've talked about this morning, actually. But he, when he became a follower... He applied his considerable talents to commending this faith to others. What I'm about to say, you've probably heard many times, that it can't really be put even any better than what he did. So I'll say it again. 
This is what he said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, classic C.S. Lewis, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So yes, there's an awful lot riding on the question, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Where do you stand? And of equal importance, what are we doing about it and how are we living this great truth in our lives? So I invite you to bow in prayer. And Steve, um, Peter is going to lead us just in a moment. But I will open up. Dear Lord, your love and your compassion know no limits. And yet, it is not a soft, uh, sappy kind of love and compassion at all. It is a strong love whereby you call us to follow you in all the adversities and ups and downs of life. We've heard your call to recognise your identity this morning. Give us grace to embrace you and the ability to live out all the implications of that in our lives our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. Let's continue in prayer as Peter leads us.